By the way, I loved how you played the guitar on that stream. Oh, thanks, dude. <laughs> Thank that you, man. Epic. Yeah. I've been trying I to like play like this. Yeah, it's it's been one of those things I've been playing since I was uh like I started playing guitar when I was 12, 13 years old. And um I did it because I don't know, like I just wanted to like I I had I had just moved to the States um from Spain. So I was born in Spain, moved to the States, and I didn't know any English and I was like basically cooped up in my house with my parents. I'm like, man, this sucks. Like this really, really sucks. And so like I naturally got uh really attracted to guitar and um i've been playing it since like on and off i had a band we did a bunch of metallica covers when we were in like my mom's basements and we did like a couple shows dude obsessed with metallica growing up obsessed with metallica i'm like i want to be james hetfield when i grow up kind of thing you know um and it's I been one of the stream you only played metallica right only yeah metallica. I yeah. Metallica and, and some Opeth too. I'm like, I'm starting to like dabble with other uh, bands too because I'm afraid of like getting like copyright striked, you know, because some bands are more uh, lenient than others. Like I still get copyright claimed because I don't really care about the monetization. It's But I at least I'm not getting striked. Like I know some... I've, I've heard horror stories to some like publishers like or uh, record labels or whatever will literally just copyright strike you if you play their songs, which uh, I'm trying strike. to be very careful. Yeah, Why? strike straight what? up. I don't know. I don't know. So I, I, I'm trying to be very careful with what bands I choose. So I know Metallica is super lenient. I don't know if it's because of the whole Napster thing, but like I know they're super lenient about that stuff now. And I do some Opeth as well. I don't know if you're familiar with Opeth, but I do some of their stuff too. But yeah, no, I mean, I don't. yeah, it's like a death metal, progressive, crazy band. It's like super, super crazy, dude. It's like, that's that's the stuff that chills me out. Like if I'm stressed out, I put on like crazy death metal really? in my, yeah. And I'm like, and my wife's like, you're fucking crazy. I'm like, it relaxes me. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, some of, people. A bunch of crazy people screaming into a mic relax. Hell the yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like almost like pent up, like pent up stress. It's like my way of getting it out. Like that aggression is sort of my way of letting that pent up sort of stress or whatever's like bothering me in that second that music allows me to like get it out i don't know it's like artsy fartsy weirdo you know but so when you're like in your teens did it help like with with girls and shit and at school that's what i thought but guess what girls don't really like metal <laughs> i was like surrounded by a bunch of dudes so like that plan failed but it like it, it oh. really allowed me to really enjoy the guitar for what it is you know and that, that's uh and one of the reasons why i started the youtube channel in the first place was like pursue my passions and be vulnerable about the passions right and like my thing was like okay if if i'm really want to stay true to that like i should be playing my guitar because it's something that i'm very passionate about and yeah i'm like scared that people are going to be like dude you suck you know wow, you missed a note here you you know you're shit and garbage or whatever but i'm like you know what i, th I feel like a lot of people connect to the vulnerability of stuff like that and that's one of the things that i'm really trying to like I'm trying to figure out how to make that into a theme. Like how how can we use vulnerability for people to come closer together? You know, like this like Twitter shit show that's going on right now with everything like that and the crazy yeah. separation we've had from like a population standpoint. What I'm trying to do is like, okay, what are the things I can do to bring people together? And it seems trivial, but I feel like vulnerability is a big one. You know, like being okay fucking up mm. is a big one, you know? Do you remember um, the guy who it went to the Foo Fighters concert and he had the sign where he was like, can I drum with you guys for one song? And they let yeah. him on stage. Yeah. And he, I think he played the Wheels. Okay. With the Foo Fighters. 
Okay. And he killed it. He's, do you know that that uh, that story? Did you ever? See I that saw shit? that one. I saw the other one too, where they have like a little kid. A little kid came up and played guitar. I don't know if you saw that one too. No. Like I, yeah, like a little the kid. The drummer like, was insane. They were like, like uh, he the, killed it. <laughs> yeah, Dave was like, maybe they need one now. I don't know, but at this yeah, point, right? I mean, that, damn shit, yeah, bro. I know, Oof, dude. What a crazy. That's another story. sad thing. Yeah. But did you ever imagine, like, did you ever wish for a moment like this? Like, you go to a Metallica concert, and then you of course, dude. Hell and, like, yeah. You get to play with them? Hell yeah. That's like one of like, it's one of those things that like, especially when I was younger, I would like fantasize about it. You know, like, oh my God, what if I'm, you know, cause I saw them live twice. Um, and yeah. I was like, oh my God, dude, if James asked me to go up and I can play master of puppets, like it would literally be like, kill me now. Cause it's like, I'm the happiest I'll ever be kind of thing. You know, would you be uh, able to play or do you like yeah. get psyched? Yeah, it was me, I, like I think... my hands would be shaking. And <laughs> so tell you what, playing on stream helps with that because my first few times when I played on stream, because I hadn't played live in so long, like I was, I was shaky, I was sweating, you know, my hands were trembling and stuff. Um, like, and the thing that sucks about guitars, uh, sp specific picks, if your hands get sweaty, your pick starts to fall out of your hand, and if the pick falls mm. out of your hand, forget it, you can't play. So it's like then you're worrying about that on top of worrying about messing up and what people are gonna think. So it's and like a freaking more snowball. Sweaty because exactly. About yeah. exactly it's and i'm already cycle, bro. it is dude it's like the it's like anxiety all like to a hundred you know but um yeah i think i'm at the point now like where i'm using like i feel like it's giving me confidence too you know it's one of those things where um in the past i may have lacked some confidence with certain things and you know now that that i'm you know now that i have a channel and i want to be comfortable speaking my mind and i want to be comfortable showing my vulnerable side like that takes a certain amount of confidence and i think i think putting yourself out there is really important and that's one of the things that i really respect about your channel is that you're not afraid to put yourself out there you know and like your video from this morning was a perfect example of that too where you talked about the twitter thing like you said hey, i don't care i don't care if people unsubscribe whatever this i'm just speaking my mind it's sort of like that's my journey to to get to that point as well where i'm always comfortable with my opinions and people can take it as they will yeah. it is what it is you know i feel like that's that takes a certain amount of courage and comfortable like you have to be comfortable with yourself in, in a way that's uh, maybe people it's it's tough to understand unless you're in that situation you know especially when like in your situation you almost have three hundred thousand subscribers and god knows what your comment section could look like if people you know feel a certain way you're like i don't care you know and i and i'm curious like do you feel do you feel some anxiety when you do that when you put that out have you just gotten comfortable with with really speaking your mind on your videos like how no, do you feel about I that feel, I, for, yeah i feel anxiety for sure yeah obviously look i it's a video where i there's only the only type of people on social media who get away talking politics gender definition and everything i talked about in that video hold on a second yeah why does it do that shit? Why my pop, oh, pop up <laughs> why are you popping up <laughs> it's just, blocking your I face i have a usb drive it keeps okay. scanning it the, oh. the antivirus Okay. We can live it in. I don't mind. So yeah, yeah. the only types of people who who get away with this is somebody who's completely identified with one side of the political map, and that's kind of their shtick. Mm -hmm. Like Ben Shapiro can say certain things, but to his audience, he's not mm -hmm. going to say that other stuff. Or on the other hand, there's plenty of examples from you know, if uh, who's the other guy? There's a guy I used to watch him also, Kyle something. I forgot his name. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. He's um, oh, got Kalinsky. 
Is that yes, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, something like that, something like that, yeah. or like the Young Turks, or or, or mm. there's there's like a bunch. So it's very clear what you're watching. It's like CNN or Fox. Like you know exactly what you're getting, yeah. and they're playing to a certain audience that it's they don't take risks, right? Because they're playing to their audience and they know exactly what they want to hear. Yeah. So what I wanted to do, because I'm not a political channel, I wanted to show them what it would look like what my vision of social media would be like in this video, where I can come out and I can talk about politics, I can talk about uh, um, gender, I can talk about um, self-definition and uh, and boundaries of freedom of speech in a political manner without people getting upset. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to show them how it's done in a way. This was the idea of the video. Because mm. kind of the hidden message I was trying to explain to them well, the plain, you know, in everything, there's the plain message and it's like the subtext. Mm -hmm. So the plain message was, you all need to understand that we basically can't call ourselves the, the kingdom of freedom of speech if we don't respect opinions that make us angry. Right. It's, I mean, it's not really that that hard to respect opinions you agree with, right? That's not freedom of speech. Yeah. The idea is that you you have to be able to tolerate things that aggravate you. Yeah. And really test the limits of freedom yeah. of speech. That's the that's the beautiful part about it. Of course, yeah. within the boundaries of the law. Of course. And without and hate speech not included and stuff like this. I mean, none of this Nazi shit. You know what I mean? Right. But that's the idea. And this the subtext of the video was basically, and here's how it's going to look like. And I didn't know how it's going to play out because look, I said a lot of things in this video. I, I said I think. I, I think the Me Too movement got yep. out of hand, yep. which people really are afraid to say. And everybody thinks that, I think, at least mm -hmm. most people think that in my age group. But they know that it's cancelable if you say that. Mm -hmm. I said that I think movies suck because we don't have any male characters in the lead anymore. Yep. Uh, I, I think I did I talk about Disney fucking up Star Wars maybe I don't remember I don't think you I don't think you put that in the video I don't but that, that was my in yeah. my mind but that's within the context like, of the movie stuff yeah. too right and yeah. that also is cancelable right I talked yeah. about uh, about uh, politics in general and to my surprise I mean people haven't unsubscribed I, I haven't left um, so that's pretty cool I haven't got a ton of new subscribers out of the video but mostly people mm -hmm. kind of just they're comfortable with the message, yeah. As long as you can present a balanced message, I think, and you're not trying to shove certain beliefs down people's throat, yeah, we should be able to communicate. Yeah, I, like I was looking for the comments in my comment section from people who disagree with me and just say, "Okay, I disagree with you, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm not leaving or stuff like that." And right. plenty of those. Yeah. I'm wondering like if this sort of this Twitter stuff that's going on with Elon, I, I wonder what, what I find very like super, super interesting. I don't know if this is the case with you too, but like I've had so many comments, conversations in private for say the last ever since Donald Trump got elected, honestly, like let's use that as a time like 2016. I've had mm -hmm. so many amazing conversations in private that were were both parties disagreed, but we came to a common situation because I think part of it was because we were face to face. Like there was a person there and I was here and we were looking at each other's eyes and we could see how each other's emotions were sort of like evolving as we were sort of 
uh, uh, you know, saying our opinion and we were respectful because you're never going to say the shit you say on Twitter to a person's face. You know, there's like a bit that I forget who does this. Like, I think it's always take care of somebody like yep. when yep. you're driving around. Yeah, with the with the kids is one, and then like you're driving around, and then like say somebody like does something stupid in the car, you're like you piece of shit. I hope you fucking die. You know, like you get like super crazy in your head. But then if you're in an elevator with somebody next to next to them, and then they like do something like that pisses you off, you're not gonna say you piece of shit. I hope you die. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that inhumanity yeah. of like the the internet in a way. Uh, it, that's needed in public discourse in, in a way I think it like respectable mm -hmm. public discourse and I'm curious how like I'm curious how that's going to evolve in the in the next like few years because unless we have that sort of sense of humanity or that sense of like hey like I'm talking to a real person I, I don't know if we're ever going to get to a point where having uh conversations online is going to get to the point to, to where I, the kind of experiences I had face to face with other people, you know? And I don't know if, if you experienced that too. I've had incredible conversations with people. Just last night, one, one of my new friends came over and we were like, and, and he's uh, on one side of the spectrum when it comes to the political uh, party. And I'm kind of in the middle. I'm probably more libertarian than anything. But like him and I had an amazing conversation. We talked for like four or five hours, super respectful. You know, and, and it's just a continuation of what's been happening, at least to me in real life. And then when I go online, it's just a freaking shit show. It's cr it's it's so weird. And then you have voices that are actively trying to like, like silence other people. It's it's such a weird dynamic. So I, I hope like what's happening now is that what I think is the real life dynamic of people actually sitting down and having real conversations like this sort of moment that we're in now somehow brings that into the digital world. And we can figure out how to make that happen. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I, that's that's what I'm hoping happens is like this exists. It's just the Internet for some reason has made it specifically about division and just who can be the loudest and who can shut up the other group instead of like sitting down and having respectful conversation, which I think exists. It totally exists. I don't know. Remember, I, I remember the 92 elections. Was it 92? That was Clinton, right? His yes, first. I was 11 yeah. years old. Yeah. I remember nobody really hated each other. Mm. I mean, you wanted your, your guy to win, mm. but there was no like hate. If, you, mm. if you're not, I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint where this uh, tribalism started, where it's, it's either you're with us or we want to kill you. Because mm. 92, that wasn't like that. And mm. then after that, he got reelected, right? Mm. And then we had Bush. Who came after Clinton? Yeah, Bush, it was uh, Bush in 2000 and then Obama 2008. Who ran against McCain? Uh, Bush ran against uh, Al Gore. And then McCain. McCain was the second. Uh, and one, then, right? yeah, and then uh, McCain ran against Obama in 2008. Okay, sorry. Then. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting confused. Yeah. So Obama, I think it might have been Obama, the Obama elections when it started to go sideways. Because mm. even the McCain, uh, McCain-Obama is where it started, I think. Yeah. It was right around the time the of Bush the financial. Elections, I never, I don't remember like massive hate. It, mm. I, it went with the development of social media. You can see that so, it's social media started yeah. picking up, like uh, in the first decade of the decade of the two thousands. Then you saw the, the craziness that started the fucking pandemonium. Yeah, and then you also had the financial crisis too before that too. So I wonder if that had a piece of it too. Like a you lot of people in the. A 2008 financial crisis, yeah. You know, so I'm wondering if that like pissed off a lot of people and now they have this platform where they can go get pissed off, you know? I, I just think it's, uh, 
financial interests have caused a lot of damage to the US and they did it's not only in, in the way we communicate also in our financial stability because what happened is that uh, we gotten totally to a place where we look at the bottom line of everything revenues margins determine mm-hmm. everything we do so mm-hmm. speaking of 92 it's pretty much where everything started to go to shit as far as you know outsourcing everything because it's cheaper yeah to the point where now we're a complete services economy and now we're fucked with this fucking debt yeah we can't we, uh, we can service because we don't make shit uh, everything is made in china or yeah. or mexico or who god knows where so the same thing happened happened with the public discourse because mm. as social media evolves the incentive for social media providers is to give you content you love and relaxes you so you stay mm. on the longest on their platform right mm. so they're not going to serve you things that are going to antagonize you mm. so it's within mm. the parameters of what they do to show you stuff that will keep you inside your little echo chamber so you happy as a clam you stay on twitter or instagram or facebook or god knows where and you and can be happy never... being angry though too right so that's kind of what you're saying but you can be happy being angry i think it's not about too. angry or happy i think it's about being content and then they keep you content Mm. surrounding you with with things that you agree with mm-hmm. uh, and then mm-hmm. when you go to the real world and you are faced with this cognitive cognitive dissonance of hearing things that make you mad you don't know how to fucking deal with it because you mm-hmm. haven't been dealing with it ever you've been in uh. your little fucking bubble social media and then you get this craziness that's going on you know the violence the craziness just people can't can't communicate I think social media is to blame for that to be honest. Interesting. Taking Twitter private is probably the first step of remedying that. Imagine if it looks at Twitter as a complete non-profit. Yeah. And it's going to be nuts. Says, Fuck it. Yeah. So he says I don't care about ad revenue. At this point they don't make ad revenue anyways. So right. it's not like so he says fuck I don't want advertisers at all. Let's just fucking op- let's let's open source this shit like completely like uh, let it be kind of unmonetized and then nobody has agendas nobody has to be moderated it's a complete shit show of opinions mm-hmm. i would mm-hmm. be curious i'm excited to see how it's going to look like i think Because what's going to be point... sorry go ahead no i think everybody will be angry at the beginning Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right now like the the left is angry because like there's more right people who were kind of more silenced lately on Twitter. Yeah. But as yeah. it does this and everybody gets a, you, you'll see more right-wing people getting really pissed off and just, right. like it's yeah. going to be a clash in the beginning, but I think at the end they'll just fucking mellow out and just learn to communicate with each other. That's kind of what I was like landing on this morning too. Like I'm thinking about it. Like what is like fast forward two years from now? Like what does this thing look like? Like at some point people are going to get tired I think I think if you create a a place where people can have like discourse where they disagree like that shit is exhausting like it like if you really want to make your point and you're you're exposed to people that are challenging you in a sense and you and you're really working hard it's mentally exhausting but there could be a situation where people come together at the end they're like you know what okay like like you said you know well fought in your video well fought yeah. good stuff shake it off you know let's shake hands let's move move forward together so it's almost like i wonder if this period now is is that pent up anger and the pent up anxiety and the pent up like uh sort of like 
I hate the other side, but I feel like I need to get this out to that to that person so I can find some common ground kind of thing. But but I feel like I feel like if, if a significant population in those platforms is that sort of crowd that I was talking about before, where they where those people are comfortable having those conversations face to face, I'm wondering if that that is the real reason why over time we'll get to that point because we'll have more reasonable voices coming on and and trying to set almost like an example of what good discourse can look like you know on top of people are just going to get tired and they're either going to leave the platform and do you know go back to their bubble or stay on and actually learn a lesson or 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 be more comfortable in that situation and move forward because maybe it's a rewarding experience for them to to hear the opposing view more often than, than they have been before you know yeah uh, there's nothing like Twitter on the internet. There's no. nothing that comes close to it. Super unique. Because if you, if you think about it, Reddit, which is very compa- compartmentalized, so yeah. you are w- exactly with, in the specific area. Your little corner, and you're you're yeah. only there, and it's very long form text. Yeah. There's nothing comes close to the simplicity of Twitter, mm-hmm. which is kind of. Uh, do you ever consider it like a a failure? of Jack Dorsey that he never managed to monetize this platform. He created something beautiful, right? But he really did. I do think I do think Jack had a missed opportunity. I think the way I think about the the handling of the of the platform like I it's software, right? And software theoretically is the I'm going to use air quotes here, easiest thing to change, right? Because it's code. You go in, you change code, and then you can transform the platform to whatever you want it to be, right? Uh, generally speaking, software doesn't, you know, you can make really, really big changes in a very short amount of period of time. I feel like Twitter has been exactly the same thing for like God knows how long. Like, like what has changed about Twitter? It's just nothing. has been a platform, nothing. And then you just have more and more strict rules about what you can and can't say. That's literally the, the only thing that's changed over time. So I think from that perspective, um, maybe Jack uh, trusted the leadership team a little too much, and then perhaps he was he lost a passion for it, or maybe Square took his attention. You know, I think it's another example of like if you compare an Elon to a to a Jack, for example. Jack is obviously a brilliant mind. He's super smart. I think he's a great guy. But he had two big companies he had to head over. One of them did nothing for the last three years. The other one mm-hmm. is doing pretty good. And then you have Elon that has a bunch of companies and he's executing at a super high level, right? So I think it, it kind of creates an environment that says not everybody can run multiple big companies, right? So perhaps the only way for Jack to have made Twitter into something in, into something closer than what his vision was is that he had to be 100% focused on the platform. But he's human too. He could have just lost focus and be like, I'm just not passionate about this because it's a hard problem to solve. It, when you have when you have a when a significant portion of the platform is pissed off at you at your product, it, it's going to be very hard for you to be to look forward to waking up in the morning the next day and be like, okay, I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to encourage my team to do better. I'm going to sort of be that guiding light to move forward. You can only do that for so long, you know, unless you have a, a, a certain level of temperament or a certain sort of a personality to to survive those moments. You know, and I think that's what's so interesting about Elon is that with the Tesla shitstorm that he had with the FUD in 2017, 2018, 2019, you got SpaceX, which is incredibly hard. You have these two industries that are super, 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 super hard. He's somebody who's conditioned and understands what it means to do something very, very difficult um, and what it takes to get to the next level. Whereas maybe, maybe Jack, as good as he is, he can't do that if he's running two companies. He has to focus on just one. You know, most people um, can't. 
Nobody knows how. Ian yeah, does nobody can shit. except for like maybe five people, right? I I definitely can't. I learned my. When you worked in Tesla, you know, did you have any interactions with them ever? I emailed them a few times. Yeah, I emailed them like three times. I had some recommendations, and like literally the next day he would hit me back. I'm like, okay, this is weird. I wasn't expecting a reply back. You know, hey, good idea, but this is what we're working on instead. Cool, thanks, Elon. You know, and it, so and you can see from the email that it was him replying. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's crazy. 100%. How the fuck yeah. does he do? How do I know. he find time? It's it's insane. It's completely insane. I think, I think his he's just extremely good at prioritizing the things that he feels are important, and he does not get distracted. I think wow. I think I think when people say Twitter is a distraction, my what I would argue back and say is that Twitter is a necessary step in Elon's master plan. Like he has to have Twitter. If you're thinking about Why? direct so direct democracy platform, when we go to Mars, he's talked about having a direct democracy platform where the people get to vote on issues directly. Twitter is the test bed for that platform. And then you pair that with real people voting on issues. Twitter suddenly becomes a thing where people can now vote on issues directly using the polling system. And then now you don't have to have these representatives in the middle corrupting everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, in my opinion, I could be 100% wrong on this, but he... Everything that Elon does, in my opinion, now on Earth, every single thing is a is a is a test bed. It's a beta version for what's going to happen on Mars. You know, um, in my opinion, it's, it's a longer. It, Twitter is is uh, it has a way bigger goal than just freedom of speech. It's like what is the foundation we can use for humanity to work together to create laws and to put things in place so that society can move forward. That's how I view his Twitter with acquisition, Tesla, right? So. Tesla, yeah. did you feel like it had a flattened management uh, pyramid? Yeah, for like sure. Everybody's saying. Oh yeah. 100%. Nobody has ever done this in in blue chip corp America corp corporate at that structure. scale too. Yeah. Imagine you know, a you... top five company that's completely like flat management, like a that's insane. It's crazy when you have a hundred thousand so, people. You wow. know, it's it's pretty incredible. It's it's. No, it's I don't know any incredible. company like when you could just fucking email the CEO. The founder, whatever, like the, and he'll just reply to you every time, like it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I may have gotten lucky at the same time, like maybe like you know I I asked a specific. I question heard this that, from other people you know, as well, similar stories. Really, you're not the first one who says something like this. That's great to in, hear. In in different scenarios, but it's not the first time I hear about it. Yeah, I've just never considered the fact. You think direct democracy? I think so. Wow. Wow, that's tough. I think that's a long term. I'm curious what what do you think it is? Like what do you, what do you think his game plan is for the thing? Well, he know like we know that the current system is is not functioning. It's basically mm -hmm. creates a lot of corruption, a lot of you know, human fallacies lead politicians to become corrupt. I mean, it's inevitable, mm -hmm. right? You surround mm -hmm. somebody with money and power and clout. I mean, they're not robots. They're all going to take advantage of it. It's impossible not to for, for mm -hmm. a human being long term. Mm -hmm. So the way to circumvent that is basically by letting people cut through the middleman, right? It's right. only like, how would you execute something like that? The, right. the concept, definitely, for sure. But like, how? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's a huge project. If he gets this shit done, it's going to be revolutionary. You think that's what he's chasing? revolution being like uh, having his name on things that are i, I don't know if it's like having his, the way we live like in yeah. the sense like 
Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it's like a it's a it's like having his name on it. I just think that he has a he has a vision for the future. Like I envision Elon having a PowerPoint or an Excel spreadsheet that is out to like 2050. Like the the columns are the years, and then the rows are the things that he feels he has to get done in those years for mm-hmm. 2050's goal to be achieved, which is uh, civiliz- uh, self-sustaining civilization on Mars. That's like like that that spreadsheet, you know. You think so, uh, he'll get there to Mars? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's I think the, the Tesla community and like uh, you know. We're all very bullish. <laughs> We're all very bullish because Elon has had a track record of execution at the highest level. You know, like I to saw the point your name on this Twitter thing. Did you see it with the price targets? Oh yeah, with with the uh, the Tesla price target thing for twenty thirty. Somebody or whatever. put out an, a, like a like the screen, uh, not screenshot, like an image mm. with all the highest target prices of people oh, on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm like I, I'm not as bullish as other people. That's the crazy thing. Like I'm pretty bullish, yeah, well, you know. And I'm give like, me shit for being <laughs> bullish, over bullish myself. And I'm, I'm like, I say fifteen hundred, and people are like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> fifteen hundred. When yeah. though? When do you think that's gonna hit? Like this year? I th- no, you don't understand. When I, I have people gotten conditioned to these analysts who mm. give price targets and dates. Mm. That's not company valuation. That's juju, fucking rain dance bullshit. Mm-hmm. The fuck does that mean? I, you can only value a company today. Mm-hmm. So I think Tesla is a $1,500 per stock or per share company right now. Right now. Today. Got yes. it. Look at the cash flows. Yeah. You can quite easily uh, build a very conservative model into the future as far as growth, expenses, margins. Bring it back using extra, extra interest. Like use something insanely high so you never get overshot by the Fed. Like yeah. I use a 10% interest mm. in my TCFs. Bring it back to today and see how much you get. So just if you apply simple simple models with just looking at auto growth, no energy business, no robotaxis, nothing, no FSD subscriptions, just the auto business of Tesla as it stands, if, if it grows in, in the current pace. Yeah. In the next five years, it's a fifteen hundred dollar stock just based on their automotive division. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't value things that don't exist yet. People are like, oh, you should. They're gonna make two hundred dollars a pop from FSD. Yes, okay. We'll we'll add it when it exists. Robotaxis. Yeah. We'll add it when it, like I don't do models like Kathy Wood does, where there's like a bunch of shit inside which I don't know exactly how much. Yeah. What will be the That's margin of this shit? Like, <laughs> yeah, but what's the margin? It's fun, of fucking, right? Yeah, yeah it's sure. Fun. Yeah. Like, he, obviously, he's going to license uh, the technology potentially to a whole bunch of companies, to FSD, yeah. right? That's a possibility. Like, yeah. in general, like, the SaaS income of, of uh, the SaaS side of it is going to be 80% yeah, margin. Insane. Yeah. So, like any software business, it's completely scalable. There's yeah. a lot of exciting things about Tesla that makes make me kind of very certain that it's fifty percent undervalued right now. Yeah, and what and what's interesting about that too is that like that's it's fifteen hundred based Wait, on not fifty percent. Sorry, it's a hundred percent undervalued. It's a hundred percent now. Yeah. Yes. Hundred percent now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what's interesting about that price target, right? Because you're like it's fifteen hundred based on right like today's business, and you're and not just accounting auto. for and, and just, just auto. auto. And you're not accounting for anything else, right? So even no. within that within that context, 
the stock seems dramatically undervalued. Are yeah. you surprised? Are you surprised? I can show you why. It's quite easy. We can look at. I can show you the stuff. If you compare Tesla to Toyota, like for me, yeah. the, if you want to look at the auto industry, don't look at the bums, the Ford and the GM, which is complete. They, there's such underperformers. It's, I don't know how they survive so far. Mm-hmm. Ford seem to have a better CEO now, mm-hmm. but the. He has to deal with a lot of shit that they did over the years. I don't know exactly how much he can actually do with. He has very limited tools. Yeah. GM is way too obsessed and busy with presentations and renderings and announcing vehicles that don't exist. But they have Mary Barra, Tom. They have the best CEO yeah, in, in the world. She invested in Nikola. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. But Toyota is the real deal. Toyota are no joke. Like yeah. GM and Ford can't help them. Toyota is the real deal. And Toyota are no suckers. They know how to sell cars. They know how to build cars. They invest heavily in R&D. Yeah. They made a few strategic mistakes. Like they were way ahead of everybody in electric and they made a strategic mistake. I mean, they, don't forget the Prius was here like 20 years ago. Bro. And it yeah. was, it was ahead seriously of its time. made way ahead of its time. They had it wide open, layup. It's, it's a shame. Um, but even GM even had it, the EV1 before that. So even maybe, G- never mind. So looking at, look at Toyota as a benchmark. And Toyota makes about 10 million cars a year. And uh, Tesla makes one-tenth of that. Mm-hmm. At one-tenth of the capacity, Tesla has much better margins than Toyota per mm-hmm. vehicle. Mm-hmm. So explain to me what happens when it goes to three, four, five million cars. Right. And they start can- cannibalizing the Toyotas of the world. And what's going to happen with margins? No dealerships, no ad spend, no, uh, the car is cheap to make. It's a battery yeah. and with wheels. Localized production, over. lower logistics yeah. costs. Yep. Everything is vertically integrated. Yep. Uh, supply chains are insanely efficient. Yep. I mean, it's just kind of a, who would compete with them? So yep. just there are already the best, most efficient car company in the world. Better than Toyota, better than VW. But they say, but Tom, Toyota makes ten times more cars. Give them, th- give them three to four years; they're going to be making more cars than Toyota. Not, not even worried about that. Yep. So if I, if we have both run two factories, and I'm already at one tenth of the scale, and and I'm having better yeah. margins than you, you're yeah. fucked. Yeah. It's it's quite simple. So yeah. I'm not even a. I'm not dreaming like these big dreams about Tesla. I see it as a. If it happens, then the valuation is God knows what. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's what's also so that, that sort of story has developed in the last call it year or two where the, the core business model of Tesla as a profitable company and it's, uh, operating leverage has really come to light. And I think it's starting to get noticed. I mean, you've, you've been on this train for a while, but like, I think I'm curious to see when wall street and the, and the broader markets are going to recognize it. You know, are you surprised by, by the price action recently, how it came down since earnings? It it happened because look, the earnings were phenomenal, but first of all, the entire market is selling off. Mm. It's not like there's anything that's going up right now. Yeah. Pretty much the market is pulling back and it has to do more with macro stuff. Sure. Where uh, markets usually price in things before they happen. Yeah. So May 4th, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have massive interest rate increase, mm-hmm. probably anywhere from half a percent to three quarters of a percent. You think it could be that high? Yeah, and it will be that high, half half a percent to three quarters of a percent. And uh-huh. by the end of the year, we 
we will be at three, three and a half percent, not 1.75, like originally wow. everybody was betting on. So that has to be priced in market. Now that the consensus is changing, so elevated interest rate means lower valuations. It's just in the way things work because of credit um, crunch, because of uh, the uh, cost of capital, the changes, the DCF valuations, uh, weighted average cost of capital changes. So prices are coming down. On top of that, you can add geopolitics, inflation, uh, supply chain shortages, China lockdowns. And on top of that, Elon is now has another distraction, which people like to hate on. And uh, there's going to be speculations about him selling Tesla stock, which he hasn't done so far, as far as I know. I don't think he has to. He can borrow against Tesla shares. Yeah. But there's going to be more, more kind of FUD around that. So that's how you get this really nice sweet spot where you can get Tesla under 900 again. Yeah, yeah. What's 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 really interesting though with that dynamic is that, and you know, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a finance expert whatsoever, but it's like I'm curious, like why why wouldn't there be a premium on companies that can generate a lot of cash as interest rates go up because that cash is going to be more expensive, right? So like if. Be. If, if Tesla, you know, if, if it's recognized that, hey, Tesla's going to generate crash like crazy, they're never going to need to borrow and that cash is going to get more expensive and they're going to be generating more and more of it. Why aren't they getting that that valuation? Like, why aren't they getting that premium? You know, I might be thinking yeah. about this too simplistically, but like, that's where my head goes. If you're going to generate something you. that's going to be more valuable over time, why wouldn't you get mm -hmm. why wouldn't you get recognized for that? That's a really good question. And I'll explain what's going on. So Tesla as you mentioned, it's uh, free cash flow positive, and that's putting it gently. They did, I think, uh, even with building two factories, they still generated a massive amount of free cash flow, billions. Yeah. Many, yeah. many, many, many billions. 19.2% uh, operating income percent, I think. Net income percent. Yeah, but we're talking about FCF. Even FCF, I don't remember oh, the sure. number, but it's something obscene. obscene Five numbers. billion or something, wasn't it? Maybe. Something like probably. that? Probably. It's, it's a lot. I don't yeah. know by heart the numbers, but so what you're saying is they're never going to need to borrow anymore because they're sitting on what, like $17 billion of, of yeah. cash. I they have very little debt, yeah. which they're closing every quarter and they're cash flow positive. So who cares about interest rates? Well, the problem with interest rates is, first of all, it devalues the future profits of the company. Because when you're evaluating a company today, you're evaluating a company based on uh, current cash flows and future cash flows. Mm -hmm. So let's say we're talking about a free cash flow of six. Let's say it stays six for the next five years. Six, 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 six. The six billion in five years, how much does it worth today? It's not worth six billion. Mm -hmm. It's worth less. Mm -hmm. Because I'll give you an example. Let's say that I, you were my employee and you mm -hmm. slipped on a banana in my factory. Mm -hmm. and you had a major injury and now I have to pay you a million dollars over the next five years mm -hmm. okay if you if you, if I come to you and I say hey listen I'll give you a lump sum how much would you take would you ask for the whole million or you would be willing to take less if you get lump sum today or I mean if I get lump sum today and over time it's going to devalue I want I want I want it now right I wouldn't want it well, over time you, but you would be willing to take less than a million if I give you everything right Theoretically, now. yeah. yeah. Because there's less risk, because you can take the money, you can invest it in the stock market and make some money. Yep. There's many other reasons, right? You can even put it in a 
in the bond market and get a little bit of uh, over. So yeah. the same thing goes with bringing back future cash flow. So mm-hmm. 2027, six billion free cash flow is worth today less because you can take it over the next five years, put it in, in the stock market and get to six billion. But that's with the assumption that the cash flow is not going to increase over time though, right? Is that, Whatever is that it why? is. No, 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 okay. no. I'm just using a simple example. Okay. Even if the example is six, eight, 10, 12, 14. Yeah. The yeah. 14 that you bring to today isn't 14. It's 10. It, it's, it, it, whatever yeah. it is. But yeah. whatever it is depends on the on the amount of interest I can get in this in the in the bank right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if the bank if the interest is higher, then the 14 from the future is worth less today mm-hmm. because there's more interest for me to get every gotcha. year. So I get to the 14 faster. Gotcha. So gotcha. And that's called the weighted average cost of capital. That's the WAC. Yeah. And the higher the interest is. The less I need today to get to 14 in five years. Gotcha. So the higher the interest goes by the Fed, the less future Tesla free cash flows are valued today. Gotcha. That's a finance principle, like a basic finance principle. Gotcha. In very layman terms. The other problem is it's not just all um, financial, academic, goggly goo nonsense. The, there's also real world issues with raising interest rates. So when you're going to raise interest rates, what's going to happen is a few things. Naturally, you know what's going to happen is you, okay, you're going to stop inflation, theoretically. But what else is going to happen? It's like taking antibiotics. It's going to cause a lot of mayhem. It, it, will, it maybe will stop inflation, I don't know, but it's going to for sure cause a few problems. Number one, as capital becomes more expensive, uh, entrepreneurship becomes more scarce yeah because if I'm looking at a project let's say I'm a construction I'm looking construct at real estate development right yeah and I'm looking and I'm saying okay so my margin is five percent on this and if the interest rates are zero let me get this free money five percent yeah. but let's say the interest rates are three and a half percent yeah I'm saying, oh, shit, my margin is a percent and a half shit yeah uh I don't know if I want to do this project there's a lot of risk here for yeah. percent and a half So there's less activity in the market. Yeah. When there's less activity in the market, there's less jobs in the market, yeah. which means people are not getting paid as much, which means they're spending less, which means there's even less activity in the market because less spending leads to more businesses shutting down, less yeah. jobs, less spending. There's this And that's the recession cycle. fears from, from the interest that's rate. That's how the recessions up. get yeah. started. It's like a snowball effect where it gets uh, basically, it's very hard to stop. Yeah. The other problem is, is, If there's fear of recession, well, like we have right now, that might also cause a major credit crunch because fear of recession basically causes people to run away from, uh, like, you know how people talk about the bond yields? This is getting like super geeky. No, let's go. So yeah. people, people talk about the, ten, the, two year, uh, the two year and the 10 year and how they mm-hmm. invert. Mm-hmm. We had it happen, and it's always it's it's in it's dancing. So, mm-hmm. the longer you go, if you buy two year, ten year, fifteen year, twenty year, thirty year, the longer you go, the more interest you get. Yeah, because the longer you go, the more risk you would undertake. Yeah, if you take a thirty year bond, it's massive risk. You don't know what the fuck aliens can be here, like whatever, right? <laughs> so who knows in thirty years, right? 
Biden's still gonna be president. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they'll keep him alive. Gonna, they'll drag him up. <laughs> gonna be shaking fucking uh, virtual handshakes in thirty years. Bro. So, um, he did oh, it again, funny. by the way. I, I saw did it video, again. Right? Oh yeah. my god! Allegedly, oh, he's he's a special case. Anyways, so. Now people are gonna say, "Oh, Tom, he's a fucking he's a." I hate Trump also. Relax. I, I hate them both equally. Listen, like, it's free speech children. now. We can all say things, and we're gonna be okay. No, with I each legitimately other. hate both of them. I, I, it's like kids. I can't decide who I hate more. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> Anyways, right there with you, man. Yeah. So, imagine that right now, the two year is giving you higher interest than the ten year. Yeah. Because. Because people are saying, "Oh shit, there's a recession coming in the next two years." Yeah, too much risk. Let's just buy the ten-year. How does it happen? Bond yields are. This is like super super geeky. So bond yields are determined by demand. Mm-hmm. When the bond is in the free market, it's like a car. It's like anything, right? The more people mm-hmm. want to buy it, the price goes up. Mm-hmm. The less people want to buy it, the price goes down. Mm-hmm. So bonds, the price of the bonds, nobody cares about. You know how in CNBC you always hear about the yield? Mm-hmm. The yield isn't the price. The yield is the quality of the deal you're getting. Mm-hmm. So let's say I, I sell you a Corvette, brand new Corvette for $20,000. No issues with mm-hmm. the car. Mm-hmm. Your deal quality is AAA, amazing. Let's say I, I sell you a fucking Subaru Impreza 2006 for $75,000. <laughs> like your quality of deal is total trash, right? Mm-hmm. The same mm-hmm. thing with the bond. The higher the bond price is, the lower the yield. The lower the price of the bond, the higher the the yield. yield. You buy it for cheap, your yield is higher. You're getting a better deal, okay? You're you're paying more for bonds, you're getting lower yield, okay? Yep. What happens if people are selling all the two-year bonds? They're selling them like crazy, and they're buying the 10-year, the 20-year, the 30-year. If everybody's selling the two-year bond, what happens to the yield? Goes up. It flies up like a like a penis in the Thailand whorehouse, like. <laughs> and then what happens? At this mm. point, that's how the yield curve inverts, and that's how you get higher yield on the two year instead of the ten year. It's supposed to be two, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, but then it goes two, ten, and then it 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 inverts completely. Got so it. when you have this inversion like we just had, and we're flirting with it all the time now. The banks can't loan you money, can't lend you money. Because the bank, the banks make money off of arbitrage. They mm-hmm. borrow money and they borrow money and they, they lend out money and they make money on the gap. Mm-hmm. But if the two year is more expensive than the 10 year, they can't do this game anymore. Mm. There's no gap. In fact, it costs them more to, to lend out money. Mm. So they just, even if it's flat, they won't do it. Even if it's flat, there's no arbitrage on the on the banks make money of the arbitrage between the long because they borrow money also. Yeah. Banks borrow money and they lend out money. But Does the borrow... interest rate going up have any influence in that as well or no? Like is that a way yeah. for the like, Fed to try and fill that gap essentially? Is that when, a good way of thinking about it? When the interest rate goes up, it 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 doesn't affect this equation we were talking about. This equation is basically dominated by fears of recession, okay. yields. Okay. So I'm showing you why people are pricing that in. When when there's a credit crunch and the banks won't lend out money, yeah. it's not. It's even worse than an expensive debt. It means no debt. Okay. It's a whole new problem. 
And okay. then it means no leverage, no debt, even slower economy, which means people, people, and then people saying, well, nobody's going to be buying a fucking Model X if they don't have any fucking food. Yeah. That's kind of the, the mindset of it. If we're going into recession, like these sort of products, they're going to all running towards commodities, food, healthcare, stuff people can't live without pretty much, not cars, yeah. especially not premium cars. Yeah. So okay. that's why that what well, that's and so the the Twitter deal, the recession fears, the elevated interest, all of this macro stuff and Elon stuff are pushing the stock price down. That's all part of artificially. the artificially. Because yeah. if you look at the financials, the Q1 they were like the best yeah. I've seen. Amazing yeah. financials. Amazing. So is the only is the only um so is the only way to get out of this rut is for that inflation number to come down or to uh, decelerate? Is that like the literally the core thing, the core driver to in, to try and prevent this sort of snowball effect from happening or to continue further? Is that like the singular thing we're waiting for? Or do you think there are other factors that could prevent a potential recession from coming? And do you think it's actually going to happen based on what you've seen so far? Like how, how do you think about like tr trying to prevent this thing from happening? Or do you think we're just too far gone now? Nobody knows what's going to happen. I'm not going to predict nothing, but I will tell you yeah. one thing. It's easy to say, well, the only problem we have is inflation. In inflation is a big problem, especially in the US, because there's very few ways to actually stop it in the current configuration of our uh, financial structure. We've, yeah. we've boxed ourselves into a corner against Tyson Fury at this point. Mm. It's a big problem. Because mm -hmm. uh, the way it works, you can let inflation go crazy and say, fuck it, I'm not going to crash the market for inflation. It, what you will find out is that inflation doesn't ride this linear line. It, it's it's like a virus. Remember how COVID starts, right? Yeah. So one case, 10 cases, 30 cases, 1,000 cases, yeah. 10,000 cases. So it's the same thing with inflation. So the runaway inflation happens before you know it. I've seen it happen, actually, in Russia. In, okay. In the, in the end of the 90s, we had hyperinflation, which is about 50%. And I've seen people sell their socks and shoes and then fucking they, they go out in the street and try to, and I've seen people get paid and they take their two week salary and they go and try to get some bread with it for that specific day. And wow. like, I've seen it, how it plays out. It's not pretty. It's the, it's the destruction of, of civilizations. Yeah. So you can just, you, you some people say, well, let's just fucking let inflation go. It's, a, it's, it's game over. Yeah. So you, this is something you cannot, it, this is cannot happen. The problem is that you're saying, well, only we only need inflation to stop. It's very hard to make it stop because look, you printed a lot of money on the one hand. And when I say a lot of money, I mean an obscene amount of yeah. money that's yeah. running through the system right now. It's like drinking a lot of alcohol until you're going to piss it out and you know it's going to be in your system for a while. Yeah. So a lot of money in the system, years until we we it works through the system. On the one hand, on the other hand, you have this global supply chain shortages that are driven because of China lockdowns making it worse. There's geopolitical crises going around the world that are basically making it worse. People forget that uh, Russia and Ukraine are responsible for about forty percent of the world's wheat. So forget about like there's countries that rely on these two, I mean almost exclusively, especially in the in the Middle East. 
these countries were like 90% exclusively Ukrainian wheat. Yeah. And uh, there's not going to be any wheat next year because they're supposed to sow it now. This is the sowing season. Damn. It's not happening. So massive food shortage coming up, commodities crisis, pe- e- economies reopen. There's big demand for precious metals, for 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 a lot of these resources. All of this is basically creating a a race. So inflation is running crazy. The Fed has only really realistically one weapon to try and fight that. And as we talked about earlier, it's like interest rates can fight that because you raise interest rates. What do you do? You incentivize people to spend less. Yeah. Because they can put the money in the savings account or whatever, theoretically. Very, very yeah. like 101 economics. Yeah. There's there's interest to be had. So you might say, well, I'm not going to buy a new $100,000 car. I'm just going to put it in the bank. I'll take my 10%. No problem. It's a good deal. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, that's one. On the other hand, it's more expensive to borrow. So as a company, I'm not going to borrow as much. I'm not going right. to develop as much projects, less jobs, less discretionary spending. Yeah. So you, you're halting the, 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 the speed of the economy. You're basically slowing shit down. Yeah. But even though I would just tell you that it's not so easy to get it done because you essentially have to put the market into a quasi-recession. And yeah. People talk about the soft lending. There's no soft lending. From a from a nine percent inflation, and if you think it's realistically nine percent inflation, you're gullible as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's not nine percent inflation, bro. Everybody yeah, it's knows much it's, it's it's much, much higher. higher. So yeah. there's not going to be any soft landings. The problem is now we can't even get a hard landing because we have it's a problem. Be crash landing. <laughs> we can't even crash land because the problem is that we've completely outsourced the fuck out of the U.S. where we're. When you when you become a services economy and you just become a net buyer of shit instead of net yeah. producer, and I'm not talking about uh, resources. At least that you can't outsource. Thank God, like oil, gas, and and food, and like soybeans and, and wheat and stuff like that. But everything else we don't really make anymore. You create a massive deficit, and that deficit is that what people refer to as the national debt. Yeah, and. Essentially, you have to pay for that debt. You have to pay the interest on that debt. And for every percent of increase in the interest rate, the U.S. will have to pay about, I think it's like $200 billion a year more in debt service. So imagine you're going up to 5% interest. That's another trillion dollars you have to pay in servicing the debt. Now, where is this trillion dollar going to come from? Unless you can find a source, you're going to have to print this money, which means you just put another trillion dollars into the system, which means you made inflation, inflation worse. So, <laughs> so you have to find a way to raise that trillion dollars. You can cut spending, which means basically taking education away, roads, like safety, security, national security. This, these cuts, they have meaning, which is significant. You can raise taxes, maybe. That's going to suck. So they're in a, it's a really tough situation. What if they legalize weed? Is that a crazy idea? Could this be the, the catalyst to like They've legalize... already done it on the federal level. That's the problem. Didn't they legalize weed on the federal level already? No, no, no. no some, only some states. I think it's it's decriminalized oh, in wait, some it's, states. Okay, states yeah. legal, certain states legalized, but not the yeah. federal system. No. Yeah, that would be a great solution. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like could that could that be the creative. catalyst? Yeah, 
I don't know you what's know? the size of the of the cannabis industry though. I don't know if it's it's going to be anywhere close to enough. How, yeah, how big, I'd be. Anybody knows the size of the industry? I don't know. I would love if anybody knows in the comments, drop it, dude. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, I I don't want to. I'm just I'm just gonna say that uh, there are many that I've met that uh, partake. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, yeah. I think I mean I, I don't know why wouldn't it be any any that smaller cool. than the alcohol. You, you might. You know. Maybe. You have to go full on casinos, gambling. You have to legalize gambling completely. Yeah, yeah. We, like it's going to be turning into Amsterdam, pretty much. But that will have a problem in itself because, right, more crime, more uh, more issues. You have to, your security spending is going to go up. Yeah, more police. I'm talking about casinos, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, casinos. Yeah, you would have to do it. You would have to do it at the federal level as well, right? Where you can like do cross-border poker, you know, games and whatever. So you're not you're not not locked into New Jersey or something like that. You can do it really anywhere. Um, you could try and uh, enforce what um, you can try and just tax the fuck out of American companies with offshore activities. They okay. have research centers, development centers, like a Facebook like headquarter in Ireland kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, and just fucking go berserk on them. Okay. Because that would be also incentivize them to bring it back to the U.S. too, in a way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because politically, this would get a lot of clout, so the politicians would love it. Yeah. And also, there's a lot of rightfully ours money running around the world right now. Places like Hong Kong, Singapore, Ireland, Cyprus. And they're all taxing the fuck out of it. Yeah. And we're not getting any of it. Because what they do, these companies, as you mentioned, they, they just transfer price everything. Are you, are you familiar with transfer pricing? Not, not quite. Works? Not quite. So what they do, guilty is being part of the problem here because I used to build these structures myself. Mm -hmm. What they'll do, people know me as the as the tracksuit Russian. They don't understand. I actually used to do this shit for a living. <laughs> I burned all my suits. I would never want one again ever. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm. I'm I told you serious. what I did. Yeah, you told me. Yeah, you yeah. told me the burn story. Yeah, with the, I with burned the guy. clothes. Yes, yeah. it's not the first time. <laughs> he told me that. That's how we opened our first conversation with that yeah. story. He was so <laughs> such bad luck, bro. Like I didn't want his energy on my clothes. Bro. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so uh, the way you they do it right now, let's say that you're a big multinational. Mm -hmm. I don't want to name names, but you can understand which one I'm talking about, which ones. There's many of them. And what they'll do is they'll pick a country with very convenient tax system, which is a mm -hmm. legitimate country, not like Cayman Islands or, or Macedonia. I love my... If you're from Macedonia, I'm sorry. I'm just, I just random. I don't know where Macedonia. Just examples. Just examples. Just examples. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> like Guernsey, Seychelles, whatever. Right. Not something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. They'll pick a legitimate country that's like a respectable, with a strong banking system, with rule of law and whatever, and with good tax tax system. Mm -hmm. it can be Singapore. It can be Hong Kong. Hong Kong not anymore. Hong Kong is basically it's not not. It used to be Hong Kong, but Singapore yeah. would be one. Ireland would be one, Cyprus would be one. And I specifically named those countries because traditionally they their corporate tax is around 10%. I think Ireland go went up a little bit now, but it, it was always around 10%, which, which was before Donald Trump came in, one fourth of the US tax on corporations. 
So the way it used to be in the U.S., a lot of people don't realize this, but when Donald Trump came in, the U.S. corporate tax on the federal level was 35%. And if you factor in state tax, which applies anywhere besides you know Texas and Delaware and Florida, I think. Yeah. Anywhere else you have state tax, then you get you can get to 38, 39% yeah. in corporate tax effective. Yeah. So what do you expect a, a giant multinational tech company to do? If you have US 4X the tax burden yeah. or Ireland, which speaks English, has a strong banking system, respectable, it's not an offshore, we're not gonna get it's not blacklisted, no nothing. Yeah. I mean, let's put our shit here. Why? Yeah. So what they do is they put this shit there and they hire a company to explain why Ireland is the center of their business and not the U.S. Mm. They say, explain, well, explain the intellectual... it to the U.S. government? Is that who they explain it to? No, they, they create this thing called the transfer pricing study. Okay. And the study basically says, well, our intellectual property, the know-how, all our, our HQ, everything is in Ireland. The only thing we have in the U.S. is a few servers and a few marketing teams. I got et cetera, you, I got you. Okay, and then when we make all this money globally, we allocate most of it to Ireland because the risks and the functions are in Ireland. Got it. All the legal stuff is being signed by by the Irish company, et cetera, et cetera. We don't assume any risk in the US. So they and they'll basically create the situation where everything gets taxed in the country where they want it to be taxed. Of course, they mm-hmm. don't admit it. They don't say they're it's called treaty shopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a network of international bilateral treaties of the US with almost every country in the world, which mm-hmm. governs how much payments get taxed between these countries. So they're saying, well, we're not treaty shopping. We just Ireland is the best fit for us because uh, it's in Europe and it's a, it's a business hub for us. They explain why it makes sense from a business perspective to be in Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. And then they basically fuck the US. And uh, what happens is that the money stays in Ireland and they never bring it back. They reinvest yeah. it from Ireland to whatever they need. They, like theoretically, they have to bring it back to the U.S. and then in the U.S. you pay dividend tax on it, which is you pay the forty percent. Mm-hmm. So when Donald Trump came in, he basically said, "Well, let's try to bring this all shit back," and basically said, "Let's lower the tax to twenty-one percent, so they have less of an incentive to go abroad because if if the gap is only ten percent, then you you're not so incentivized. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to be so aggressive because you're going to say, ah, yeah. Yeah, for th- and the other thing he did, he also added the stick. This was the carrot. And the stick was, he created the tax. People in your stream can research this later. It's called the guilty tax, G-I-L-T-I. The guilty tax was aimed to recapture foreign income of U.S. companies that was not repatriated back to the U.S. So basically, he said, the reform, the tax reform basically said, and if, we don't care. You don't have to bring it back. But we're going to tax you as if you brought it back. Got it. So he tried this shit when he came in, to my understanding, that has not been reversed, but you can always go even more aggressive on this. Mm -hmm. So you can just basically say these structures are illegal, Mm. point blank. Mm. And we don't, like, you can go completely berserk. That would be a big revenue center for the, it's basically, if the US just says, well, enough of this shit. If you're if if you're incorporated in the U.S. or if you have if you know if what if we consider you like here's the problem the U.S. has a big flaw in their tax where this is how did this stream become this fucking geek fest bro <laughs> I'm so sorry for this no you're good dude no this, I love this I love it 
The, I'm no, learning so to, much. Yeah. Do you have to? Do you I, have to go? I'm late five minutes ready to my okay. Discord hangout. So no problem. I'll yeah. explain this this part as well. Yeah. Most of the Commonwealth, uh, common law. Sorry, the common law countries that uh, they have they derive their legal system from the from Britain, mm-hmm. from the ancient like you remember like the old empires. Yeah. So England was kind of the the center of the world, right? Yep. Yep. And and the countries that came out of that system, which was basically the US as well, but like a lot of they have a very similar system in the concept. And the concept says in the UK, for example, the United Kingdom, they have a tax system that says, hey, we don't care where you incorporated. We don't care what the name of your company. We don't give a shit what your transfer pricing study says. If we think that your country is managed and controlled from the UK, you're a fucking UK company. You pay taxes here. Point period blank. Shut the fuck up. Got it. And they, they killed the entire discussion right there and then. The US never enacted this provision. So the US, uh, that's the biggest flaw where you can actually fix it and get a lot of money back into the US through tax and through taxing these loopholes and international assholes that fucking cheat us is basically enact this similar uh, provision like they have in the UK in the US saying, hey, if if the IRS determines that this is a US company, Ireland.co or caymanislands.co, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. We're taxing you. We don't care. Like it or not. Yeah. Like it or not. We did, if you're managed from the US, if you're, if you're controlled from the US, yeah. if we determine that obje- like uh, materially, you're just trying to, to hide the fact that you're a US company, yeah. we're taxing you in 100% of your revenues. And wouldn't that incentivize those people to just say, well, fuck you. I'm just going to move everything to Ireland. Well, try it. No problem. But- Moving out completely out of the U.S., you it's can't. That's the you can't you can't do it because at the end yeah. of the day, the business of these multinationals isn't in Ireland. All the networking, all the people, all the businesses, all the fundraising. They would the, break. Uh, they would they, be a com- they, company breaking. It would be very hard for them. It would mean people would have to leave. Like imagine telling the CEO of a company, "Look, if we want to hire you, but you have to move to fucking Ireland." Gotcha. What the fucker, bro? What the fuck? What the? You know, it's, it, that's just like one little aspect of it. It's going to be operational nightmare. Got it. So Got you it. can easily do that. You can enact this clause, which is enacted in the UK and say, hey, management and control from the US means US taxation. You yeah. increase tax revenue by, I would say, significant amount. That would be part of the solution. Yeah. But okay. I'm sure there's creative solutions out there. The problem is that this administration doesn't seem to be thinking of any because they haven't seen a yeah. new jack shit. It's a problem yeah. that's been known for a year. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah. any solutions being spoken about. Yeah, I'm curious to see how this maybe if this comes to a head and and maybe some people will become much more creative and the, and they'll become an actual thing where they realize like let's put an administration in place that actually puts in those creative solutions. Maybe like a Eisenhower type thing. Look, back in the at day. least no at least you can say a lot about Trump, but at least he fucking tried with sure. his tax reform. He was specifically gunning for offshore U.S. money being hidden by these multinationals. Yeah. He was going for it. And they, it's yeah. funny because he was a Republican president. So you would think like, oh, like. Uh, Lower taxes into- at all times. Yeah. Lo- but lowering taxes isn't necessarily a bad thing. They don't understand this shit. Right. So there's this thing called the Laffer curve. The Laffer curve is basically, you know, the bell curve that you use in tests. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with taxes. So in taxes, 
your collection is correlated with your tax rate. So if your tax rate is 0%, you're collecting zero. Yep. If it's 5%, you're collecting $5. If it's 20%, you're collecting $20. If it's 30%, you're collecting $25. Got it. Drops. Yeah. Yep. There's an optimum point at which raising taxes means less collection. Because if you raise taxes to a certain point, you incentivize people to plan around it. Because Got the it. amount of of, re, of you incentivize them so much to yeah. hire better lawyers, more expensive uh, yeah. tax accountants. Move offshore, so plan, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Move offshore. So you create incentives for people to move and do shady things, etc. Et so reducing taxes is actually how you increase collections. And the thing people in the US don't understand is when Trump said 21%, this wasn't a coincidence. If you go back and you look at this, it's the most... Uh, it's the most serious discussion I had in two years. If you go, if you look at the, there's an organization called the OECD. The OECD is a, an organization of all the developed countries. Mm-hmm. The OECD uh, has, uh, it's, it's the world's developed countries. I don't know, I think it's 40 of the world's most developed countries are in this organization. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of data. One of the statistics they show, what's the average corporate tax rate? in the OECD countries, and it is 20%. Hmm. So the 21% that the Trump administration hmm. said is exactly on the average of the OECD. Hmm. So that's, that's fascinating. why, by the way, it didn't work when they wanted to raise it. Why didn't it work? When Biden came in and they were like, oh, we're going to raise the corporate tax rate. Because I think there must be experts in there who told these guys, hey, listen, yeah. if you do this, your net revenue is going to go down. When we're going to we're going to lose yeah. collections. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. That's fascinating. I've, I never thought about it that way ever. Like that's yeah. it's it's counterintuitive, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes but perfect sense for politicians to explain the Laffer curve. Yeah, to a bunch of like to a huge crowd in the stadium, it's it's impossible. Yeah, so it's easier to scream, raise the taxes. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you should run for president, Tom. <laughs> I, I can I cannot I can no, weren't born here. Yeah. I cannot technically and I also have zero desire to ever zero be in interest. politics. I ever, know. ever, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> well, I know you gotta go. I wanna let you go, dude. Yeah. I know you're uh, you've had a it's, crazy there's one day. One thing but... I will never do is politics, bro. Ever, yeah. ever, ever. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. It's crazy, oh, crazy stuff, man. Thank Why you so much, do Tom. This to themselves? I never understood this. No, right? It's like it's like the most self-inflicting thing ever. Like you gotta hate yourself in a way. Or you have to Look be addicted at Obama to Obama pre and after, like for yeah. the eight years. It looks like he went yeah. through a fucking spin cycle in the washing yeah. machine, bro. Some people just love power too, you know? Some people love that status as well. You know, I, I think it attracts a certain level. I just, of well, I just need the left enough tracksuits to survive, and all. There fine. you go. You're good. You're good. <laughs> You're good, brother. Thank you so much, okay. man. I really appreciate you taking the time again, man. I really appreciate it. This has been Tom, super geeky. I'm sorry. Hell for this. yeah. No, I. These are the kind of conversations I love because I'm trying to learn from our conversation, right? So this has been great for me. We'll do it um, again. Yeah. Let's see if we can get to Palantir next time. <laughs> awesome, brother. Take it easy, man. Later.